The Tefl Commute, Season 8, Episode 4, in which Carrie and I chat about all things irregular. Let's get started. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Lindsay. How are you doing? Uh, fine, thanks. How are you? Very well, thank you. I'm very happy to be here. I know we haven't had you on the show for a while. It's good to be co-hosting with you. Hey, what have you done with Sean? Oh, he's away. I think he's training somewhere or he's doing some kind of online training. He's deep in the online world of teacher training and cannot make it this episode. Anyway, hello everybody and welcome. This is an episode of the TEFL Commute. We are a podcast for language teachers that's not about language teaching, but the topic always seems to come up. I'm your host, Lindsay Kleinfield. And I'm Kerry, Kerry Jones. And uh, today we're going to be talking about, um, and I'm sure that language teaching will come up quite a lot because the topic we took today was kind of like, seems like a, a strange one, but it's very much a part of our work, I think, as language teachers. That's the term irregular. I think we all had in mind one thing we wanted to talk about when English teacher hears the word irregular, there's always one place where our brains automatically go, and that's probably the irregular verb list. But um, we wanted to approach irregular, like all different aspects of irregular and our profession of, of language teaching. I wanted to start off with, Carrie, by asking you a question. Is English a very irregular language? And if so, in what ways? Okay, so you're totally right with the irregular verbs collocation. If you Google irregular and English, you only get the irregular verbs for pages and pages. But it oh, yeah. isn't, of course, the only irregular thing about the English language. I'd say that number two that comes up on the list is spelling. Oh, and of course. the whole yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, sort of phonetic sound spelling association thing. And, and it actually comes up with a lot of stuff on spelling bees. And obviously the you know, the spelling competitions, the harder they get, the more irregular the spelling gets as well. So that is definitely, um, I would say, English is very irregular from that point of view. Exactly. I actually remember, I think we spoke about this once on an episode on Alphabet. Um, I did read somewhere that, in fact, um, a lot of words or, or a great majority of the words, no, a majority of the words, let's say, in English are not that irregular. But the problem is a, a lot of the very frequent words are irregular. So it gives us an impression that, or, or, or it certainly gives us a feeling that things are, 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 are the, the rules, the spelling sound things do not, do not tally up as nicely as, for example, Spanish or other Romance languages. Would you agree? Yeah, I think that's a, it's the students particularly, I think, who think of it as irregular. I think if, mm -hmm. you're, if you learn to read in a more organic way, or if it's the first language that you learn to read, it's very much to do with sight words, so that you okay. those really regular, those really frequent ones uh, that are irregular spelling-wise, the one you just learn them as a shape, don't you? You know, sort of, and a yeah, lot of students yeah. coming from a background, like you say, Spanish or Italian, are expecting to be able to spell it out letter by letter. 
That's right. And so they learn citizenship and they get it mixed up. Like I'm thinking of the famous like words like what, the WH, which is a sort of a regular thing. But they, they'll they learn the shape, but they mix up. So they put W-A-H-T is a frequent one I see with beginner learners. So they've kind of, they're not, they're not spelling out the sounds. They're, they're trying to remember that shape. I had a teacher at school. I really, she was old at the time. So we're talking about a teacher who would have trained as an English teacher a long, long time ago. And she used uh -huh. to insist on pronouncing the H. She said oh, it wasn't what, what it was what, what? <laughs> and, what? and oh, when uh, and where. <laughs> wow, wonderful. Maybe we, maybe wonderful. we could do that with us. Yes, <laughs> what? <laughs> um, of course, so, so verbs, spelling. Um, I think the other thing is, and I often find this when I'm doing um, language awareness sessions with, teaching, with teachers, um, we often have the go-tos like irregular verbs. That's the main thing. Of course, we do have other word classes that have their irregularities. Um, the second most uh, popular one would be probably irregular nouns in their plural form, right? Our person, people, man, men, woman, women, child, children. Yeah, um, nice. And the kind of the Latin endings and the Greek endings as well that have kind of stayed in the language. Yeah. And when the, the do you use those? Yes, exactly. The mouse, mice, or the uh, uh, things like that. Um, then we also have irregular adjectives. Also, then uh, every time I mention that, people are like, oh, of course, yeah, there are regular adjectives. You know, you're sort of good, better, best, um, bad, worse, worst, etc., far, further, and so on. Yeah, and then there's other little patterns that um, you could say the kind of the regularity of the L-Y ending being um, an adverb ending, for example, and the confusion when actually it's an adjective ending. So you have something yes. like friendly or lonely and um <laughs> exactly or when you have something like 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 um uh you you uh something is hard but you don't work hardly yeah <laughs> you yes. work hard yes yeah, yeah. so then exactly. you've got your irregular adverbs as well then which which don't follow that rule so i guess it's kind of taking irregular to mean not following the the main rule like the majority rule no Exactly. And one of the things I was wondering, is this like, well, well, within English, it seems to be, these are particularly within certain word classes. Like in English, we don't have irregular prepositions, which is a much smaller set, or irregular conjunctions, because there's no kind of, there's not enough really to create a rule. But um, you, we were talking about before, you said in other languages, you may have irregularities in other word classes, i.e. prepositions, uh, conjunctions, or, or things like that. Yeah, I was thinking of Spanish. For me, the, um, the, the like, there's the conjugation of the preposition con, and I think yes. it's the only one that's conjugated, isn't it? So it means with. And so if you say yes. with me, then you have to create the conmigo. And that. Oh, right. You don't say con me. Yeah. That you say, you don't, yeah. thing at the end only comes with con, as far as I know. Ah, okay. Uh, and you don't say sin migo. No. <laughs> like, without, have, although, without me is not. Although yeah. I think I have in the past <laughs> yes. done that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we're going to get later on to how. Um, uh, first and second language uh, speakers um, overgeneralize rules or, or or so on when 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 coming to irregulars. Um, what about what about is are there other 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 things in terms of like irregular word forms which are I suppose some must be in flux, aren't they? Like or is any time that a rule is being broken, does that mean yes. it becomes irregular? Is it irregular? And how long does it take for it to become regular? So it's the classic kind of 
um, few disappearing from the language idea, isn't it? That now it's becoming more and more frequent to see less being okay, used well, get, get, rather oh, wait, than fewer. It, Oh, explain that to me then again. So less and few. Give me some examples where you see this this being changed. Okay, so it would be less and fewer, of course, wouldn't it? So there are fewer, right. fewer and fewer people. And it's yes. very common you get less and less people. And in fact, it's right. starting to sound almost more natural to use less. But then that would be breaking the countable and countable rule. So you would so say that was an irregularity. The, does that become the irregularity that just is sort of the norm? Ah, interesting. Does it become of a new rule, which is that there's this irregularity in the, or, or, or is it just going to become one that we can use with countable and uncountable alike? And so the irregularity just completely disappears at that point. Hmm. Yes, I mean, I think I think what what we're very getting very close to, I think the elephant in the room. Whenever we talk about <laughs> irregular, which is going to be because I keep wanting to go there, and I think we're about to go there, which is of course the irregular verbs, of which I had no idea so much had been written and so much research had been done going back decades. So I suggest we take a very short break, and when we come back, let's delve into the infamous irregular verb list in English. Sound good? That sounds good to me. Okay, so in the first part of this uh, of our of our podcast today on an irregular, we looked at uh, whether or not English could be considered an irregular language. We looked at like uh, like a spelling, uh, sound and spelling things are not always regular. We looked at that it's not only verbs but other word classes like nouns and adjectives can be also considered irregular. And we compared it a little bit to to other languages. One that we both know Spanish, um, and then how maybe when rules change, do things just go from being wrong to just being an irregular exception. But the big thing, of course, is the irregular verb list. Um, and, uh, well, I've been doing, I've been doing some research on this. And, and first of all, Carrie, how many, how many verbs are in that irregular verb list, do you think? Oh, I have no idea. Um, that's a great yeah. question. I know the ones in the back of the course books tend to be around between 25 and 40 or something, but a full it, list, I, I bet it's much longer. It is much longer, but it's not as long as one might think. Um, approximately, according to several sources I've read, there are around 180 irregular verb forms. But what's interesting about all these sources, is they keep hedging, saying around 180, because some things, of course, are disappearing. And that's what I wanted to delve in a little bit. So um, let's just define our terms. The irregular verb is a verb that is not formed by adding the affix or the inflection ed. So a regular past tense and past participle of a verb is used by making an ed. For example, open, opened, opened. But an irregular verb could be something like make, made, made, or fly, flew, flown. Um, and apparently there are around 180 of these. However, they don't, and they're the most frequently at the back of a course book, on a, on a school's bookmark, on the wall of an English language classroom, but they rarely have all 180 ones because some of them are very, very rare, rare, but the thing is, is that they include some of the most frequent words. So, for example, go, go, yes, make, do, have, have, be, be, yeah. Uh, Trying to think of the, the other ones of the most frequent ones: eat, see, see, 
that would be another one, wouldn't it? Yep. The, the, the fact of that some of our most common verbs in English are irregular is what me, what makes this such a big deal for, for students to have to learn because you can't kind of escape it. I think for some of the spelling stuff, you can't escape for a while. No, maybe not some of the very frequent words, but let's say your irregular adjectives. Maybe you can get away with it. No, I, probably I not. I don't know. I would argue that yep. as an A1 student, A2 as well, beginning of A2 student, you can get away with the ED ending. And those irregular yes. verbs are massively overvalued, actually. That's just yep. throwing that out there. I'm quite happy if my uh, beginners... So, so, oh, wait, we're, we're, repeat. You're, you're happy if your beginners... What? To use an ED ending on an irregular verb to get their message across. Ooh, ooh, controversial know, statement. Okay. Controversial. Okay. All right. I presume you're basing this on the fact that children, when they're learning a language, will also make that mistake as part of their interlanguage development. So, well, like a, a child will say "maked," won't exactly. they? Exactly. I mean, that's. I think because it's part of the interlanguage, and it's just something that is understood, generally speaking. Although I think a lot of beginner students may just avoid the past and just throw in an infinitive. But if they're actually putting an ED ending on at the end as well, then they're obviously starting to process the whole yeah. idea of a past inflection. You know? So I think, hey, great <laughs> power to your yeah. processing. You know? Well, I think it's, this, is, this is also what's really interesting. One of the, one of the books... One of the most famous books, uh, well, maybe not famous, one of a famous book, let's say, that looked at language and discussed uh, a lot of re about regular and irregular verbs in English was Steven Pinker's Words and Rules. And what he says is that there are, um, hold on a second, I've got notes on this here, is that, is that um, people learning the language will apply the rules first, but the other stuff, the irregulars, have to be memorized. Now, I might be getting this kind of wrong. So um, he says um, that irregular verbs are the result of words being increasingly distorted over time and until the rule governing their use became lost. So that they, they maybe did follow the rule, but they got more and more distorted. And then so those words have to be learned apart as a block. So in like how children learn they will learn the pattern or the rule first but the other stuff has to be learned as a block of rules of words i think that, i think that might be worth turning on its head because i would okay. say that for me children do not learn it as a block of words or they don't and they don't learn a rule they are just okay. exposed to a load of verbs in the past whether it's in parent talk or whatever because i think they pick the past up before they start schooling formally um so basically yes. they're picking it out from exposure and well uh-huh yes yeah. exactly go on and so i don't think they ever kind of have a, the rule is subconscious isn't it i guess it's the same thing but they don't they wouldn't be able to verbalize that rule for you they just no. go around putting an ed on well according to pinker in this book he sort of says that the the rules of language appear to be innate but irregularities must rely on a different part of thinking Okay. Yeah. So, for example, he says that the 
English language of the 180 irregular verb, verb forms, and again, people have maybe criticized this, says, which simply must be memorized. With regular verbs, humans seem to apply the rules instinctively. He talks about a child encountering an unfamiliar word such as wug. <laughs> W-U-G, an invented word. The child would automatically give the past tense as wugged. So he says the two parts of the mind and two different types of thinking are utilized. Um, so and so some parts are just applying the rule and other parts is retrieving it from the exposure so that slowly yeah. that retrieval becomes part of the natural thing. I'm not sure. I didn't read any criticisms of, 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 of this one, but I'm sure there have been. But I think there is this idea that when kids are learning a first language, they overcompensate and add ed to to things. Just like you were saying, your beginning students, you are okay with them adding, making make it or buy it at the beginning because eventually they'll start getting it. Yeah. And also, like as parents, we just we just correct, don't we? we yes, or we, we formulate. Kind of, yeah. yeah, we do. We basically. The, what kids are getting is reformulation of that, so kind of exposure to the irregular form. And they won't pick it up straight away. And I guess beginner students are the same. We're going to be reformulating, reformulating, and they're going to keep going with their, with their rule without, um, without thinking about it if they're producing it whilst they're speaking, even writing. Well, apparently, I mean, I think lots of this stuff in words and rules was also um, a bit of a, an argument about the infamous black box, Chomsky's black box, which, you know, sort of where the language is created in the brain, right? Yeah. And, and, and the black box cannot explain why um, irregular verbs stay, I think. I think I'm grossly simplifying this, um, and maybe I'm going out of my depth. But according to Pinker, he says that that's because he's, I think he's sort of saying the black box could still be there, but there are two things going on inside. One is the rules creation and generation, and the other is changing that as you realize like that there are these irregularities that are happening i, I mean it's let's, also let's, that pattern recognition isn't it you know yes the, yeah we take a metaphor from data crunching it's just the, yeah the more data you get then you start picking out the patterns and then and so maybe a pattern which is just more frequent is an ed ending but then as those okay. top irregular verbs are repeated over and over and over we said things like you know went had did made the exposure on those is going to be pretty high as well. So the that kind of um, spotting frequent patterns, which again is another, it's it's another theory as to how uh, our brains process language. Then if that pattern yeah. is frequent enough, then it does become automatic, and it's something that the brain can just retrieve as a as a chunk, as it were. And that's exactly what I think Pinker was getting at. I think the other thing, when we said about how a child, when encountering, and the, the wug test has been done several times on like, what, you know, if you wug, if you wug the bear, what did you do yesterday with the bear? I wugged it, yeah. you know, so, but what's interesting is when you think of any new verbs coming into the language, um, in English, how they automatically become regular past tense verbs. So for example, um, like if you Google something, yesterday I Googled it. Yeah. I didn't gig I didn't giggle it or 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 Google as the same thing. Um, if uh, another I was thinking of other new verbs, things like docs, you know, if you expose someone's address and real name online and where they live and stuff, yeah. the doxing someone, they you doxed them, X X E D. Uh, um, I don't know, other ones like it's, if, it's if interesting that the spelling rules 
there as well are going on, no? Because you've just doubled the yes, final consonant. Doubled the there. X. Yeah. Yes. And the same thing with like like um someone if you lull, like if you laugh out loud, I've heard people say, Yeah, I lulled about that. Yeah. I mean, so I can already see that that's so that rule since it gets applied, we don't tend to see many I think Irregular it, it happens verbs. across um, other languages as well, because I'm thinking about exactly lol being taken into, yeah. again, having to take Spanish as my example, but it would be loleado. And, you know, yes. so you'd have, you just add that regular. Uh, yes, yeah. exactly. So you make the, you make lol, first of all, it has to be a verb form. And then from that verb form, you can create the regular past form. And, um, so that's a, you know so it's something that happens across languages obviously when we're bringing in or maybe like verbalizing a noun or verb what's the verb for that verbizing you do when you oh wait you nominalize yeah. verbify <laughs> it's like verbify okay let's go with verbify here i've got another question this relates exactly and our listeners can do this as well i'm going to tell you some verbs i want you to tell me the irregular the sorry the past form okay just the past form all right okay ready uh-huh. Grip. Grip. Gripped. Okay. Starve. Starb. Starb? Starb. Starve. Like not, Starved. not eat. Starved. Uh, yes. Smoke. Smoked. Uh-huh. Um, flow, as in the river flows. Flowed. Uh-huh. Climb. Climbed. I'm waiting for the trick. Okay. <laughs> okay. The trick is, is that all of these were irregular in the past. And this is part of a really interesting study that I've came across done recently um, in, uh, I'll tell you at the end, because I'm looking at the page of this table, which looks at how, uh, what they posit, and this is great news for students, is that they posit that the regular verb list is, has slowly been shrinking over time. And that the less frequent the irregular the verb was, the more likely it would slowly glide towards being regular. Oh, so wonderful. all of those verbs that I said to you used to be irregular. Unfortunately, I don't have um, the past tense forms. I couldn't find those. So the past tense of starve might have just been starve or store, stove. I'm not Stoves. sure. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, swallow might have been swallow in the past tense. Other examples would have been wield, shove, prescribe, reek, row, um, etc. Right. Uh, and there's a, they have a whole bunch of these that they say over time, they, they became regular. And they say... Um, and they say, as, as this, they, they say it's continuing now. So they say, for example, the latest example that they observe being in flux right now is the word wed, as in like to marry someone, to wed someone. Oh, yeah. So if you were putting the past part, uh, traditionally it should be wed, wed, wed. Okay. But we're hearing wedded. now wedded. Yeah. 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 They were wedded. I was wedded in June or whatever. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the minister wedded them on a beautiful spring day. Oh. Um, and they say that is becoming increasingly regular. It's a regular, also, a regular form. Also, that, that one kind of rings as a past participle used as a, an adjective to me more than used as a yes. verb. I don't think I would ever yep. use the verb to wed. But no. Like wedded bliss. Wouldn't it? Yep. You wouldn't say wet yes. bliss. Okay, so here are some ones that they say could be up for it. Um, slink, 
you know, like if you're moving yeah. around, yeah, like you, yeah. slink, slink, slinked is, is, is what it's becoming, but it, it should be slink, slank, slunk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it sounds weird to say he slank through the door. You might say he slinked through the door. Yes. Um, ring as what you do with your hands when your hands are wet or with you with a towel. I wonder whether this is just like one of those kind of British American things, but um, so Britain, you know, we, they, we have the get got got, but got yeah. gotten, is that an older form? That has I been think stayed so, yeah. in American English and been dropped in British English. Is that what happened? Uh, it could could be, yes. I think that would make sense if you think of other pronunciation things and other elements of English, which we think of as American, but in fact we're closer to whatever pilgrim yes, yeah, yeah. era English. Kind of taken yeah. over, you know, and and didn't evolve in the same way in in the States or in Canada as they did in, in the UK, I guess. So anyway, so that seems to be, uh, that's a bit of good news for our students. If you hang on for another 400, 400 years, maybe some of the things like uh, sink, shoot, uh, maybe our verb list will go down from 180 to just 80, and, and you can fit it on half a page or on half of a bookmark. So that's good. Another another interesting thing before we move off of the verb ones uh, was um, I want to ask you another question because there was another interesting study here of... Uh, I'm going to tell you some verbs. I want you to tell me the past tense. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, okay. Begin. Began. Do you want the drink? Drank. Yeah. Big, 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 oh, give me all three. Big, okay. Yeah. Begin, yeah. Began. Begun. Ring. Ring. Rang. Rung. Sing. Sang. Sung. Spring. Sprang. Sprung. Okay. Uh, so um, the thing is, is this is a collection of verbs. There are only nine of them. Uh huh which all follow the same pattern. The past tense form is a and the past participle is you mm -hmm. or a, right? Begin, began, begun. But they say that in standard English today, there is fluctuation between these past forms yeah. where people say, is it like I shrank the kids or I shrunk the kids? Yeah. You know that film, yeah. Honey, yeah. I Shrunk the Kids? Yeah. But that is that would have that's incorrect. It should be I shrank the kids, but it's I shrunk the kids. Is it I sang or I sung? Is it I mean begin is different. That one people, but swam or swam, um, uh, stink or stank or stunk, um, sing or or sang or sung. So uh, it was really interesting that this is another more recent study, uh, Cambridge study, um, that looked at how. Uh, there's a consensus about what cons constitutes correct past tense, um, but um, but things begin to change and non-standard forms um, begin to begin to kind of come back into it. I imagine it might be a little bit along with yes, of those. I I know that my kids use oh, right. kind of overuse the past participle as it were instead of the simple past definite. And um, I wonder if it's a little bit like the if I were, if I was, and it'll become something which will be totally acceptable, however, in formal writing, or if you're being a little bit, you know, nitpicky. I think it is that. prefer it to be the other form. I wonder if that'll happen. I, yes, I'm not sure. I mean, I think the other, th the, I'm going to read you a sentence. I, I've been trying to read this out of my mind. Just maybe if I read out, it make more sense. Um, uh -huh. the, the, the incorrect, like to say, I shrunk the kids as a past tense. They said some of these seem to be more, quote, unquote, natural than the standard English counterpart, shrank or drank. Mm -hmm. Because they conform, all right, get ready here. They conform <laughs> to the system defining structural proprieties of English, easing the cognitive load of the language learner and language user. 
Uh, so it's. I think they're kind of saying they conform to another rule. Yeah. But the question is not why speakers use drink, drunk, drunk, rather than drink, drank, drunk. Yeah. But what motivated grammarians to prescribe distinct forms for past and past participle in the standard? So that they say there was a, 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 a correction was made by the grammarians, which didn't conform to, in fact, a natural use. So there, it was kind of when the rules were being set and written down, as it were, which, which happened a lot with with spellings as well. There was a lot more freedom, wasn't there, with spelling? You know, you And could... would have happened with our as our if I was, if I were. Yeah. The, the, the natural thing was what was perhaps happening before, and then there was an, an effort to kind of say, no, the correct way of saying it is this. But it's anyway. It's a kind of prescriptive yes. grammar, kind of. Those damn prescriptivists, they, they did yeah. it again. <laughs> All right. What do you think, Carrie? I think we've gone into the weeds on the irregular verb. Shall we have another break and then come back and talk how this relates to teaching? What was that? Oh, well, that was a little irregular verb song. And if you go on YouTube, you will find a host of irregular verb songs. Personally, I've never used them, but I can see that maybe some teachers would like them. I haven't either. But it is, I can understand why YouTube would be just chock full of irregular verb songs. And I'm sure we have colleagues of ours in the writing business who have probably written their fair share <laughs> of irregular verb songs as well. I mean, because it is like the uber thing that everyone, no English teacher can ever escape having to teach this, right? I mean, it's just it's, sooner or later, the student is going to have to have to learn it. And they chant it as well, don't they? I mean, you know, a lot of students who've learnt it maybe before you become their teacher, they will have learnt it from somewhere else. And it's like a little mantra. It is a little mantra. And what I always find about interesting about that is how the mantra always goes in threes, even if yes. you've only supposedly learnt the past tense. So, like, you always do, like, put, put, put. Yeah. Or swim, swim, swim. Even if you're like, well, we're not doing present perfect, so you're not really supposed to know these. They're just like, okay, swim, 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 or whatever. Begin, began, begun. Um, uh, come, came, come, etc. They always seem to learn it in threes. Yes, because if they if they come to you having already learned them, then basically you can't avoid it, can you? If they've come to you without having had any exposure to the um, list, then you can just do the past. Yes. Like the simple, yeah, I'm trying past. to think I'm trying to think if I ever met someone who has no exposure to the list. I mostly teach teenagers and adults, okay, so yeah. I'd have to say no. Well, maybe with some of the older adults, but even then, what? they kind um, of still seem to like be able to recite make made made, you know. Um, I had a group of do, older did, adults who had studied French in school because of their age and they um, were in school under Franco, so French was the language that was taught. And they had no exposure to the list, which was wonderful because it was just like, wow. uh, you know, we could go at it whatever way we wanted and they were beginners. And so we just started with a little set of irregular, right, irregular right. verbs um, and, and yeah. 
So I could have this little experiment with them about what you do if you actually teach them the irregular forms first and then tell them this regular yes. form as well. And then it was like, wow, suddenly you've opened up this Box oh, to I oh totally yeah. totally well this is an i mean this is a parenthesis that we could have touched on before and both of us as materials writers we've both written elementary books and you have to get to that point where you say okay past tense what are we going to do first are we going to do regular and then the irregulars or are we going to do regular and irregular first um and I, I i'm of the feeling now that you do teach first the very common irregular ones so you teach like go see eat do make i've, I've had arguments oh. about this until very very recent about the okay. frequency and the generative you know value of the most frequent irregulars and i think like okay. if you're teaching an a1 class if you give them went did had they can tell you almost anything with the right vocabulary yes. about their weekends. Yeah, saw, they, eight. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Went, 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 did, see, saw, eight. Yeah, that's, that's it. Don't give them anything a else. A whole weekend is right there. Yeah, yep. exactly. Mm -hmm. okay. we, we can actually talk about the past for lessons on end with just those yeah. verbs. But it's like, oh, no, you have to show them the regular first or they won't get it. You're, yeah. But anyway, yeah. I, did, I didn't. Well, maybe we're time. accessing different parts of their brain to bring it back to Pinker. Sort yeah. of like, do we go first for the, the rules generating part of the brain and teach them the rule? Or do we go for like time for you to store this little bit of useful language in your retrieval part yeah. um, and, and, and so on? Um, okay. Favorite activities for teaching the irregulars? Hmm. Is there? There's no trick, is there? Really? I, I I gave up on trying to find a trick. You can group them a bit, so you can't say like there's whatever a seesaw. Like there's the ones that have the same like make made made. Yeah. Um, and then there's like this put 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 and shut shut shut. But I don't know. You can kind of go for the whole pronunciation side of things as well. And, By pot you know, pot, like teach the, tot tot. Yeah. yeah. The ought, you know, so then they can have a whole group of them and see how many of them go into the ought. Um, like but then I posters. worry that they mix, they make, they mix buy and bring. Then right, so I don't know. Oh, yeah, well, uh, there's post. Yeah, I mix buy and bring in the past. I'm gonna say I think it's a Welsh thing. <laughs> yeah. So I, 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 well, I very often bought something when I actually brought it. And it's ah, a uh, well, I can see that slip. happening as yeah. well. Yep. I don't know. I like my favorite activity, but again, it's just a rote kind of like memorizing activity is the, the irregular verb tennis. Um, this is from Mary Renvalucci's grammar games where like I call out the past form, like did you call out the past participle done? And then I have to bat it back to you with the present form. Yeah, I remember you um, mentioning that in a, in a games episode as well. I think. So yes, that still is one of my favorite <laughs> ones, but um, I like the paper, rock, scissors or whatever. What do you call that, Lindsay? Paper, paper rock scissors that's what you, for what, what, what yeah you, is that what you call it as well because um yeah yeah yep, yeah yep. rock paper scissors yeah that's it rock it's, paper it's like scissors the, like yeah uh order of it changes doesn't it people order it differently yes. they're very heated about yes. what the right order should be but anyway how does that work with the regulars it's the same as the tennis really whoever wins says the infinitive and the partner has to say the past and that's all it is it's just okay. it just trips it off and makes it a little bit more dynamic i guess I guess, yes. And I think there's also the, I mean, there's the chanting it back. There's kind of all the drilling form tends to be with the corrections like you go went gone yeah. yesterday. I don't know that kind of things. Um, 
trying to think if there's any other activities, favorite activities for teaching this. I'm sure our listeners must have their go-to yeah, activities. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's certainly weird that it's always in groups of three. Chants tend to work, and um, and then sort of like drilling activities. Listing thing, you know, where we like to group things yes. in three. So like telephone numbers and that whole intonation thing about a list, and you you group them in three. You know, yes. Yeah. And so maybe there's something kind of. Maybe there's something there about there. Comforting. About and I think there is something comforting for students as well, in the sense that it is like it is a thing to memorize. It's a list. Like it's something that's like, okay, I just need to learn this by rote. There's no other way. It's not sort of like, there's not a lot of processing you have to do. And there's, there's just, not a lot of rote learning in English, is there? You know? So it's no, like a, no. So it's not like the conjugating in in other languages or cases in other languages. Yeah. It this is, the, this is the one area where... A lot of students are like, oh, this Friday I have a test on the irregular verb list. It means that they can approach that test like they would approach any other subject domain studying. Yeah. It's just like That's I just memorize. memorize. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Whereas the frustrating thing of like I can't memorize for a reading exam yeah. or I can't memorize. I can memorize for vocabulary lists and in grammar it's for the irregular verb list. Yep. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I think we're coming almost to the end. Um, let's have one last tiny break, and then let's widen our focus to other kinds of irregular in language teaching. All right. I think we've done enough on irregular words, verbs, sounds, spellings, all kinds of stuff like that. We really went deep into it. But um, you had some notes, Carrie, uh, that you were showing me of other ways that we could interpret irregular in language teaching. Okay, so the first thing I was thinking of was um, that whole idea of a regular job, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so English teaching, yeah. Very uh -huh. often, English language teaching is just not a regular job, is it? How many times have you had to explain what you do to someone and they exactly. really don't understand? Um, exactly. So well, I think we're talking. There are two things here. There's the well. There's the English teacher who works in a state school system and only in the state school system, and that might be just a regular teaching job. Yeah. But even those teachers will often do the other side of English teaching, which, if you're working in the private sector, is all you do. Which means uh, a balance between like after school classes, uh, morning classes, private classes, online teaching, um, uh, whatever classes at. Irregular hours, isn't it, really? I think if it's you think like, of the classic private language school teaching timetable, that to yeah. a lot of people is pretty irregular anyway, isn't it? You know, it's because it's it, it's at the time when other people aren't working. So you're working yeah, hours so you have your, out like, of sync a breakfast, bit. Yeah, your working hours are like breakfast time, yeah. lunch time. <laughs> And then, and then after work time. So I always remembered working when I was working those those kind of typical English teaching hours. Let's say like seven to nine, uh, twelve thirty to three, and then maybe after school classes started at four or four thirty until nine or ten at night. I, I it was always fine to do shopping or go to the bank or go to the post office because I didn't have any classes at those kind of main time working times of day. That's when everyone was working. But it's exhausting. I mean, we all get, oh, oh, completely, we yes. get into the yeah, rhythm yeah, yeah. of it, obviously, and everyone kind of builds their lives around those. But it's it's exhausting. It's not 
good for you in the long run as well. It's like, you know, like no. working like a fireman or a first responder. or a, it's, not that, exactly. it's not that bad because we are tied I, to a schedule of some sort, but it's just one that throws you all over the place during the day. And even teachers who have like the nice plum, let's say, a good public school job or a good university job, often they find that they are supplementing their income by doing that other kind of teaching teaching as well so they may have some business english classes or they may teach in like a friend's private academy or they may have some private classes for some students to help them prepare for an exam yeah, so there is that sort of irregular hours teaching online and you know yeah. your online classes could be at any time of day as well so that kind of throws the whole regularity but i guess the thing is that more and more people are working those kind of irregular hours if we're kind of thinking of the whole gig economy and you know, 24-7 yes. work. And, and, yeah, zero-hour contracts yes. and just yeah. picking up what you can. I think English teaching, of all the teaching, has been one of the main uh, areas that have gone into that gig economy type thing. And I, I can't see it getting much better with the growth of online, with a, with a big projected growth of online teaching, if that happens. I think that gig economy thing will just, will just keep going. Yeah, although I've heard, some teachers say that actually having the online classes gives them more regularity because if you're working for a large operation online, you just say, well, these are the hours when I can do the classes. And they've got enough teachers who are covering 24 hours because there are teachers all around the globe doing it. That's so, true. So sh this particular teacher was actually able to escape from an irregular timetable by blocking time online. So who knows? Hmm, who knows? Imagine some Uber drivers could also make the same thing. I'm not saying that blatantly. I think it's probably true that, <laughs> you know, if there's a big, if there's, it all depends on demand as well. So yeah. if there's a big enough demand, the gigs will not stop coming. Yeah. So, um, I think also, I think you mentioned something earlier, which is interesting. I wanted to, you, you said that what happens in the English language classroom could also be considered irregular. What do you mean by that? Okay. So I think that especially maybe with adult students who've been used to being taught a particular way or if you're teaching in a private language school and your students in mainstream school are taught a different way so things like calling your teacher by their first name even that could be yeah. considered mm -hmm. irregular uh yes making a lot of noise um moving around in yes. the class moving the chairs yeah. around comparing your comparing your answers with somebody else um exactly. yeah. marking your own homework or just even when you go into a classroom that's been set out possibly in the regular fashion of rows and you come in and, you know, we tend to move the furniture, don't we? And make a horseshoe yep. or make groups and whatever. And then, um, so, so also then we have to put it back to normal, as it were, so that we're, we've yes, done something that exactly. wasn't normal and then we put it back again, which has obviously got its pros and cons. No, that's definitely true. And I think... Um, Yes, I, I always love that we say, let's put the classroom back to normal yeah. now. <laughs> so, yeah. I never say at the beginning, when I go to classes with Fulham Bros, I'm like, okay, can we put our classroom, can you put them into groups of four or put them into uh, our, our, our our circle? And then it's like, okay, before we go, just put everything back to normal. We never say, can we just put, never, can I, we just put everything in abnormal mode now, please? <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Wow. I think that we've, uh, I think we've nailed most of this. We've, uh, I think, I think we can probably agree that everything about English language teaching is irregular. <laughs> yeah, we've gone far and wide with irregular. <laughs> 
As always, if you were listening to this and had a suggestion or had something you'd like to add to the show, you can find us at teflcommute.com. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and all the regular social media places. I guess that means Facebook, Twitter, and all the podcasting places. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get podcasts, and now stream us on Spotify. Um, Kerry, it was great to host again with you. It was great fun being here. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, and uh, that's it from us, everyone. We'll be back again with another episode of the Tuffle Commute soon. As your commute is coming to an end, here's an activity you can take into class. Write irregular verbs up on the board. Begin by doing some quick review of irregular verbs. Then ask the class what their experience has been with this most common of English grammar points. Every student has, at some point, had to learn these verbs. Put students in pairs and ask them to brainstorm activities or techniques they've used to learn the list. Then do feedback as a whole class. If there's time, do one of the favourite activities the students suggest. These can also provide you with ideas for future classes when teaching this grammar point. You've been listening to The TEFL Commute, an original podcast produced and presented by Lindsay Clanfield, Sean Wilden and James Taylor. Don't miss out on any episodes by subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or your podcast player of choice and by visiting us at teflcommute.com.